Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we bring to a close our series on Marxism, and we're going to talk today about cultural Marxism. This won't be the last thing probably that I'll say about Marxism. I have some exciting things coming in the future uh, that I'm not going to talk about because I don't know if they're going to happen entirely. But um, suffice it to say that uh, this has been really rich and uh, I've learned a lot. I've, I've clarified my thoughts significantly through this, this series. Uh, I hope it's clear that I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm claiming to be on a journey and I have found this journey to be very rich and rewarding. And if there's something you'd like to contribute to this journey, if there's a correction you see, or if there's something that you'd like to add, then by all means, contact me and um, <clears throat> contribute to my success by critiquing my work. And so we're going to talk about the story. What is the story that Marxism presents versus the story that classical liberalism and Christianity have been presenting? Because as I said in the previous podcast, really the last 300 years, and more so, much more so, but especially the last 300 years, have been this, this dialogue that's been happening between classical liberals with roots in Athens, Greece, and Christians and Jews, you know, the Judeo-Christian worldview, with their roots in Jerusalem. And so that has created a story into which um, humankind has blossomed. Uh, there's a really great quote. I, I don't think I've said it yet. I, I find it, I find it central to how I think. Somebody once asked a philosopher, "Do you think that society has changed through revolution or evolution?" And he said, "Neither. It's changed by telling a better story." And I don't know who said that, and I can't find the quote of that. It was just said in a podcast one day, and I thought that makes sense. Society has not changed through revolution, you know bloody revolution, killing all the people and setting up a new government, that doesn't change anything. Evolution, I have not seen proof of evolution. Uh, just because something is later in history does not necessarily mean it's better. Things degenerate through history oftentimes. What changes things is telling a better story. And we have been telling a tremendously good story for the last couple hundred years. And that's why we have what we have today, because into this story, uh, we have had a lot of people that are able to live and are able to, to become the best version of themselves and society itself has become the best version of itself that it can be. So what have been the components of this story? First of all, human dignity, that humans are made in the image of God, that we are moral creatures and that we are our centers of morality, that there is, there is more moral guilt attached to killing one human being than by, you know, killing a thousand animals, whatever kind of animal that is. Um, maybe if they're an endangered species, it, it you know maybe that we could ha ask questions, but it's a crime to kill one person. It's not a crime to kill a thousand cows because there's moral value in the person. And as much as you might, yeah. And, and so that's that's one important component of this story. And this is a, a place where liberalism needs Christianity because without Christianity, we don't really have a way of anchoring this, that humans are, are worth something. 
But also Christians need liberalism because without liberalism, Christians tend to kind of overemphasize sin. They say, well, you can never overemphasize sin. Yeah, actually you can. Um, we are made in the image of God, which means we are uh, worthy of respect. We are not just worms. We are not just nothing. We are, are glorious. Humans are glorious, but scarred by sin. But there is there there is always this this worth that is that attaches in moral um, significance that attaches to each individual person and neither liberalism nor christianity quite gets it right but when you have the two together oftentimes you have a really beautiful picture of humanism and what it means to be human and of course christians would want to emphasize the fact that we are sinners and we need god we need redemption uh, and liberals would tend to want to emphasize the fact that we are um there is worth and there is value in the human soul. And I think that they're both telling an important story. And in that conflict and dialogue between the two, we have um, a rich foundation for society. Secondly, there's an emphasis on morality. And this is primarily the domain of Christians, but also liberals as well. Um, will say we need a moral society. Each person needs to be moral and be good. And society's laws need to be moral and grounded in a morality that is higher than any of us. Something like the Judeo-Christian um, moral system, somewhat based on the Bible, although tweaked for our day and age. But there is some sense in which there is a God above. There is absolute morality, and we're going to make just laws that um, that in some way reflect that. And even you know, in ancient Greece, they had the same idea that there was the form of the good, that there, out there there is something called absolute goodness, and our laws are going to mirror that. So that's step two. Step one is human dignity. Step two is morality. Step three is there's one story about one race, one nation, working together. That there's an end of tribalism. There's not the rich and the poor. There's not this family versus that family. There's not this this race versus that race is not this gender versus that gender we're all part of one family telling one story living into one future in one nation under god and of course at this point it's hard not to you know hear the echoes of um the american constitution because it's you know that is the embodiment of christianity and liberalism coming together to create the story and this story of course is very much dependent on on the, on the Bible, that uh, in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, and you can say all sorts of negative things about the Bible, but that's where this ethic comes from, that male and female are made in the image of God. And many peoples throughout history have said, well, our people are made in the, are divine, but your people aren't. And what Judaism said is that all people are made in the image of God. And of course, some Christians, you know, with, with the, the slavery and the racism, some Christians said, no, not all people are made in the image of God. Or some people are cursed with the curse of Cain. But the rest, the majority of Christianity said, no, this is wrong. Look at, before that, look at Genesis 1, 27, 28, and that's the story that won. And let's not let the the, the minor story of a few become the story of all. It was, it was the the meta-narrative is that there is one people. They are God's people. They are made in, the, in God's image. And this is echoed in Galatians 3.28, that 
In Christ, there is neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither um, barbarian nor, uh, nor Roman, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So this is, again, the story. This is, we are telling one story about one people that are one family moving into the future. And there's no way to understate how important this is and how revolutionary this is and how much life this has given, an end of tribalism, an end of, of divisions. We are all part of one family and we all have a, a role to play. We all can play this game. We can all play, enter into this story through peace. Now, that's the fourth component is through peace. Now, liberalism has not always progressed through peace. The French Revolution was, of course, one of the bloodiest times in European history. At least, you know, per year, per capita, it was an extremely bloody time. Uh, in ancient Athens, uh, when when they got rid of their, their rulers that they called tyrants, um, that was through a bloody revolution and they, they killed them and ran them out of town. <clears throat> So liberalism hasn't always progressed through peace. But in recent years, liberalism has really brought social change through peace. So if you look at Martin Luther King Jr., when you look at Gandhi, when you look at Nelson Mandela, these are people that were able to embody the liberal ethic and bring change, not through violence, but through peace. And the, the bright, shining legacy of Western democracies has been this ability to stand up for um, freedom of speech, freedom of press. And what that means is that the best story wins. And that is how social change has happened in the West, is through the best story winning. And it's, there's this fundamental conviction that if everybody speaks the truth, eventually the, the truth will rise to the top because there is such a thing as truth. And we all know it somewhere deep down inside. We know what is true. We know what is good. And that's what's going to win if everybody has a chance to speak and nobody is silencing anybody else. And finally, we work on problems. There are always problems as we try and move forward, tell one story, live as one people into one future. There's always problems that we work on. Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. There's always problems, and we're always trying. Jesus said the poor will always be among you, but that wasn't, he wasn't saying don't worry about it. He was saying the poor will always be among you, so how are we going to solve this? Uh, well, elsewhere, he, these, these are two different passages of Scripture, and it just we can't just run them together. But, you know, elsewhere, Jesus very much said that we ought to care for the poor, and he modeled this, and he sometimes even told people, sell all the money you have and give to the poor. So there, there's problems in society. There's problems of race. There's problems of class. There's problems of gender. There's problems of, of ageism. There's all sorts of, of tension and corruption in government. And um, government's just getting too bureaucratic and slow. There's all sorts of problems that we have. But we're going to work on these problems together. And we're going to realize that there's no perfect system. Sir Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government except all the others. And I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it. Democracy is the worst form of government except all the others. Look, it's an imperfect system. In, in many ways, the best system of government would be a monarchy where the monarch is perfect. 
And that's kind of what Christianity points towards, that one day we'll be led by Jesus Christ himself. But in the meantime, you don't want a monarchy because history has said, yeah, you'll have one good monarch and then his son will be you know, a tyrant. And it's not, it's not going to end well. The best, the least bad form of government is where you have a democracy. And this has been workshopped out again by the, by the Athenians in ancient Greece, figuring out that this is a way to control the negative impact of everybody. Because people will, if, if, they're, being, if they're being elected, then they're accountable to the collective group. And so they can't live out of the... Um, it's a way of holding people accountable. So we're realistic that people are not perfect, systems are not perfect, government's not perfect, society's not perfect. But this is the best way that we have found yet in like 3,000 years of trying different stuff. This is the best thing. Well, I mean more than that, but I'm going to say especially in the last 2,500 years. This is the best thing that the human race has found for controlling and mitigating the evils of society. And so let's let's work, let's live into this. Let's lean into this. This is what has worked. So this is the story that has been told in the West is that humans are made in the image of God, that um, we emphasize morality as, as being divine in some way and uh, rooted in, in God and in, in a higher moral system. We're telling one story about one human race and we're progressing through peace and democracy and free speech and we work on problems as they come up and there will always be problems. The poor will always be among us. And democracy is always a terrible system. There's always huge problems in society, but we're always gonna just keep working on them because that's the best that we have is to keep striving against um, the darkness within and the darkness without. So in contrast to this, we have the story of Marxism. And Marxism is a story that you know, has been tried politically, and uh, in some cases it's been tried as something that's been forced on society through a revolution. And more and more in our day, it's something that's being tried socially, where it's being pushed through social media, it's being pushed through um, traditional forms of media. And this is a story that is pushing in on and, and trying to replace the Christian and the liberal story. Something that I'm realizing that I haven't mentioned because I haven't found it terribly significant is that Marxism usually is seen to primarily talk about capitalism versus socialism as um, a means of production. And that's part of the story of Marxism. But another part of the story is, and perhaps a more significant part of the story, is it's recasting how we think about the human race how to progress as a society, and how to overcome our problems. And so let's talk about the Marxist story. So fundamentally, we are not made in the image of God for a Marxist. Marxism is an explicitly naturalistic philosophy. We are not made in the image of God. We are animals. You know, we're just... Um, there is no moral worth attached to a human being. So right away... Like There is no way to overstate how important it is to say that we are made in the image of God. Even if we can't define exactly what that means, it means, it means that there is moral worth attached to each individual human. If we're not, uh, so we are just animals, 
And worse than that, we are ideals. We are animals that are carrying along with us moral guilt uh, because of our association with various classes. So you're an animal that's part of such and such class, such and such group, which might be the ruling oppressive class, and then somebody else is just an animal that is part of such and such class that might be part of the oppressed group. And so what needs to happen for society to progress, for us to evolve as a society, for us to overcome our problems, is for the oppressed group to rise up and destroy and fight against and have a revolution against the oppressor group so that we can move into utopia, we can move into the better future. So when you look at it this way, I mean, no wonder Marxism has been responsible for 100 million deaths in just 100 years. Because what are people? They're nothing. They're worse than nothing. You know, I mentioned um, in the previous podcast that there is more moral worth in there's more moral guilt that attaches to killing one human being than killing a thousand cows. Well, for Marxism, it's kind of the opposite. That one human being, if they're part of an oppressive class, it is your moral duty and obligation to take them out. Whereas cows, you know, you can kill them, it doesn't matter. And so worse than just being, um, worse than neutral, some human beings actually are worse they have no rights as far as being made in the image of God. And if they're part of a ruling oppressive class, you could even say that their life counts negatively. There's there's a negative worth. There's a negative moral worth, worth that attaches to their life as far as I understand Marxism. So we are just ideals. We are just part of, a, of greater systems of oppressor and oppressed that need to have conflict so that we can rise towards utopia and evolution. Marxism removes the basis for morality. It removes, for one thing, this Judeo-Christian standard, which has been so underappreciated but necessary for liberalism for so many years. If you know, it, What is the American Constitution? Let me ask you this, those of you that might know the American Constitution. How would you rewrite that without God? We have certain unalienable rights. You know, one nation under, no, no, not under anybody, is it? Okay, if you take God out, then all the good stuff leaves the Constitution. All the good stuff leaves. You can't have what um, the American dream was without God. And, you know, Marxism just takes that out. We don't need that. There is no basis for that. So, right away, there is no... um, There is no inhibition against the government wiping people out or sending people to to gulags because there is no judeo-christian standard they're not made in the image of god there is no standard higher than marxism and what it replaces judeo-christian values with is this ethic of oppressor and oppressed and they conflict and then we have evolution and so it's a tremendous step back as far as um, society loses, it loses ethics, and it's being replaced with this ethic of conflict. And something that happens more invisibly, I would say, is that any time that you remove ethical systems from society, you're going to end up with unethical people. 
I don't think that's a revolutionary thing to say. I don't think that's a really terribly... It seems to follow. You know, sometimes Christianity gets critiqued as basically uh, a complex way of saying, uh, of um, brainwashing our children with something like Santa Claus. You know, the story goes that, well, we teach our children that they're Santa Claus and, and he he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Um, so you better not shout, you better not cry. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. You know, there's this mythology about Santa Claus that's gonna that keeps children on the straight and narrow and doing the right thing. And the story goes that well, Christianity is basically the same thing. It's just this story told to children that makes them do the right things. But then when they grow up, they realize that actually there is no God and that uh, we don't need Christianity to tell us to do right and wrong. And I would just say, let's just let's just pretend for a second that I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that there's actually a personal being out there that communicates with us that is the center of morality that is all good. Let's just pretend for a second that we're only speaking as naturalists. Wouldn't you rather have some form of an ethical system? So maybe not for yourself. Maybe you're thinking, well, I just want to do what I want to do. Fine. But there's always going to be somebody that has most of the power. There's always going to be somebody that has most of the money. There's always going to be somebody that's that's got his finger on the trigger of a very large weapon. And don't you hope that that person has some sort of an ethical system? Because if they don't, then that's a bad day. That's a bad day for us, isn't it? And from where I'm sitting, it seems to me that Marxism in removing, in being a naturalistic system, in removing the ethics of Judeo-Christian of the Judeo-Christian worldview, not only in broad strokes does it create a system that is not ethical and doesn't feel like it has to be ethical as far as uh, treating people um, with the dignity that they would deserve as, as made in the image of God, but also on a personal level. I, th I think that this is why um, Marxist governments so often struggle with corruption and, and struggle with dictatorships and leaders acting in unscrupulous ways because why should they not why should they not what what is it in, what is there in in it for them what is the bigger story that you know leads to somebody you know if you look at somebody like abraham lincoln and maybe yeah if you take somebody like abraham lincoln he was somebody who had a lot of power and somebody that led a revolution but he lived his life in an ethical way you look at somebody like Stalin, he's somebody who had a lot of power and led a revolution, and he led his life in an unethical way. And to me, that makes sense, because one person believed there was a God above them, and the other person did not. So when you have all the power in the world given to you, let's just hope that you believe there's a power higher than you that's going to hold you accountable. And so the second problem with, with the Marxist story, as far as I can tell, is that it removes morality both in politics and on a personal level, it seems to remove morality. The third problem is a really, really big problem. I mean, all these are huge, but the third problem is that it seems to create tribalism because it enters into this liberal democracy where we're all trying to tell the same story. You know, Martin Luther King, I have a dream. My dream is that my, my little girls will grow up in a world where you know white men and black men and you know we will all be part of the same story we will all be part of the same system we're all part of the same family we're all part of the same same village 
That was Martin Luther's dream. But neo-Marxism comes into this and says, no, actually, you're not part of the same story. You're the oppressor. You're the oppressed. Now, you two, you need to know this about yourself. You oppressors, you're bad. Moral guilt attaches to you. You people that are oppressed, you're victims. So you have moral right that attaches to you and a moral obligation to to attack, to be violent, to be angry against people that have been oppressing you. And then through this conflict, to evolve to the next step. And so it, it divides society. It creates tribalism. This is what Marxism does. If you look at what Marxism is, it's like, well, it doesn't make sense unless there's tribes of people. If there's only one, one family, you can't have a proletariat and a bourgeoisie. It, you just, it doesn't exist. You need to find who are the tribes and who is oppressing who, and that's how you have a Marxist story. And so Marxism creates tribalism, and it incites violence, because that is how Marxism works. That is the system is that we evolve through conflict, we evolve through revolution. And so it literally says, you're part of this group, you're part of this group, you're oppressing this group, you're the oppressor, therefore fight, therefore evolve. And so this is a huge, this is a huge step back as far as creating one system, as, as far as creating um, a political system that is equitable, that is fair for everybody, that uh, I guess equitable is a, a word that is charged with other meaning that I don't, don't want to get into at this point, but creating a, a world where everybody can enter into. It's a step back. And part of this violence is censorship, that in the old you know, Christian liberal conflict, we want to have freedom of speech because everybody's going to bring something to the table and we believe that there is a God above, there is truth exists and if we talk enough we're going to figure out what the truth is but within this neo-marxist system look we don't want the oppressors speaking they need to be quiet so that those who are oppressed can rise up against them and this becomes oppressive because um and this becomes anti-intellectual because everybody needs to have an ability to speak if if everybody can't speak then we're not going to be able to figure out our problems. And this becomes a way of thought policing people and shutting people down rather than having a conversation. And finally, because this system is utopic, meaning it's there, there are certain political systems that are utopic, meaning they believe there's a utopia. A utopia means like a heaven on earth. So the system is utopic, meaning its aim is to get towards perfection. The problem is perfection on earth does not happen. And so what this means is that because we can never arrive at utopia, as Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. No matter how you structure society, there's always going to be inequality. There's always going to be problems. And some of these problems are built into, you know, the um, the basic building blocks and, and randomness of 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 life you know some people are born crippled some people are born blind and they're just not or some people have you know mental limitations and they're just not going to have the same opportunities as others will have and so if we're going to keep bashing away at this and creating these tribes and telling these tribes to fight until we arrive at utopia well for one thing i think we're moving in the wrong direction if we're we're inciting tribalism and violence but also 
Um, you know, we're for moving further away from utopia. And also, um, we're never, ever, ever going to arrive at something like a utopia on Earth. It just doesn't exist. And so there is no end in sight for this conflict and this violence. And so what, what can we say about a critique of this system? Obviously, I think one critique is that it leads to violence, uh, and it leads to censorship, and it leads to a less desirable future. It's, in, it's a system that's less moral. Uh, it leads to a place of um, encouraging immoral actions against people just because they supposedly belong to a certain class. And I've heard people say this. I've seen people that... Um, are Christians and that you would expect to have uh, a moral ethical system but they've been influenced by Marxism and they say well because they're part of this this group of people and they're fighting against that group of people traditional morality doesn't doesn't apply to them and so it's kind of carte blanche for what their actions should be so it, it encourages immoral actions which I think is a less desirable outcome I think one of the most important problems and critiques here is that it's, it doesn't make sense. There's an, a nonsensicality about it. Marxism, when it was a, applied to class, it, 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 there was a certain rationality to it, a certain sense to it. But when you try and attach that to all the systems of life and just say, anytime that there's any inequality in power that uh, this Marxist system applies where the oppressed need to rise up against the oppressor, it, it starts to break down. It becomes that... Um, it becomes nonsensical because abusive in whose eyes? Who gets to decide who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed? We're usually part of more than one class at one time. So how can you say, who gets to say who the oppressor is and who the oppressed person is? What happens if I wake up one day and I feel especially oppressed? Um, who is there to say that, that I am right or wrong? This becomes a very convenient double standard of truth where some people can say, well, I'm the oppressor. Or, or I'm the oppressed person and I have these rights to oppress you back to bring equality. And this is something that can become wielded by unscrupulous people to, to seize a certain sort of, of power uh, that can be ve become very dangerous. But it doesn't make sense because once one person seizes the power, overcomes another, well, now they become the person in power. Now they become the oppressor. What happens in a Marxist state during the dictatorship of the proletariat? Well, they have all the power. So should somebody rise up against them? It doesn't seem to make sense. And there are certain situations in life, such as parenting, such as teachers teaching in schools, such as prisons, such as taking care of the criminally insane, where you need to have power. And it's not an optimal situation for anybody for the people under power to rise up against the people over them. And something that Jordan Peterson uh, has mentioned and brought light to is, well, for one thing, hierarchies are inevitable and they're ancient. Uh, there's no societies, there's no, um, not even in the animal kingdom, do animals organize themselves outside of a hierarchy, it's just inevitable. And, um, and there are certain inequalities built into the human condition and this is why we need complex stories to wrestle with these inequalities. And the Christian story and the liberal story have had these, this, this contention for many years 
trying to do, to figure out things like gender, trying to th- figure out things like class inequality, things like sex. How are we going to navigate this situation? How are we going to navigate childbirth? We as a society, we need to produce children, and those children need to be cared for, and they need to be protected. They need to be raised. How are we going to how are we going to figure out how to do this as a as a race as, or as a as the human race, as the human people. And we have complex stories going back to Jerusalem and going back to Athens. And we've been trying to work this out for many, many years. And to simply push all that aside and say the only thing that's happening is there's oppressors and oppressed. And the oppressed need to destroy the oppressors so that they can have freedom and utopia. It, it's simply a two-dimensional story that is insufficient for the complexity of human life. It's, it's telling a less desirable story, and the outcomes are, are less desirable. So I'm going to play devil's advocate to my own talk here, and what are, two, what are some things that people might be saying against this, and how might I respond? I think the first thing that people often say when anybody critiques Marxism is, well, clearly you don't know enough about Marxism. And this is something that uh, yeah, you see pretty often online, well, I can't believe Jordan Pearson would say that. He doesn't know anything about Marxism. He hasn't read Marxism. He hasn't mastered it, whatever. And that in itself, as it stands, is an ad hominem attack. And so you can go back and listen to what I said about ad hominem attacks in the previous podcast on um, guilt by association. You can't just say to somebody, you don't know enough about this. Therefore, your arguments are valid or invalid you need to provide proof for why their arguments are invalid. And if you provide proof for why their arguments are invalid, then you win the argument. But you can't take them out. You can't say you don't have a doctorate. You can't say you don't have this experience. You can't say you're the wrong class or gender or or whatever. Therefore, your argument is invalid. That's an ad hominem attack. That's wrong by default. So simply saying you don't know enough about Marxism that's an ad hominem attack, and I reject that. And from the beginning, I've said, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to figure this out. And um, I'm entering into dialogue with ideas I see online. And this is my way of talking things through. And believe me, I am talking it through with with other ideas in my head and uh, online as well. And I've had a lot of conversations that um, I'm not bringing into this because this is this is public. Those conversations were private. Um, I am talking with the other side, but even if I wasn't, you need to contend with my arguments, not what you think my qualifications are or are not. Second objection, well, aren't you just afraid of losing power? This is something that was told to me uh, in one of these conversations. And obviously that's a very personal attack, um, depending on how you divide culture today you would probably look at me and say, well, you're part of this ruling group and you're part of this ruling group. And so when you come against neo-Marxism, aren't you just afraid of losing power? Well, in my, re- my response to that at the time was to say, well, actually, I'm not part of all the ruling groups that you think. And here's personal stories about the times when it hasn't been all rosy. Um, and so that you know went kind of a personal direction and went into personal stories and it was I think probably unhelpful to the to the broader discussion and I'm not going to go that direction again, and that's why I have strictly avoided talking about the specifics of these issues because I don't want to get to the specifics because I think that the conversation then 
gets too personal, too emotionally charged, too tied up in the accidents of human life, rather than the big concepts that are really important, human dignity, morality, uh, telling one's story, changing society through telling truth, and working on the problems in an imperfect world. That's, that's the important thing that we need to work on. Um, and we're always going to disagree, right? I mean, this liberal buddy I've been talking about, right? I disagree with him on almost everything. But we need to contend with liberalism. And I think we need to reject neo-Marxism. I don't think there's anything good in neo-Marxism for us to accept. So are you just afraid of losing power? That's personal attack. And I'm not going to go there. And that, again, is invalid. You wouldn't say this to somebody, like, for example, you wouldn't say to um, a gay person or a black person or a Jew or a woman or an Armenian or, you know, a Pole, somebody from Poland. Well, you're just, a, you're just saying this. You're just um, opposing this system because you're afraid of losing power, because it touches you personally. Well, maybe it does touch them personally, but that doesn't... The, it always needs to come down to whether their argument has two feet or not. And their personal story might give them energy to present their story, to present their arguments, but it always comes down to do their arguments make sense? That's what the conversation needs to be about. Anything else in the ad hominem attack that I reject. And I truly am doing this, which terrifies me and which has caused um, which has been hard I am doing this because I care about society and because I see my society being ripped apart and fragmented and I've been trying to figure this out why are the sides flying so far apart why is tribalism coming back we thought we had it licked we we thought that that we were really moving forward as a society and all of a sudden tribalism has come back with a vengeance. Why is this? And I believe that we're looking at the at the problem right here is because um, there is a deep problem which is neo-Marxism coming in, in in various forms and telling us that no, we're not part of one story, we're part of different tribes. No, the answer is not peace and, and honest discourse. The answer is censorship and violence. And if you start telling people that, they're going to start living out of that. And I think my I think my deepest motivation, I have a lot of motivations, and motivations are hard to, to suss out of our hearts, but I think the deepest motivation is because I, I truly care about the weak of society. And as much as, as this system says it's going to help the poor and the weak and the oppressed, the track record says the opposite. The track record says that neo-Marxism creates a system that is in, internally incoherent where anybody can stand up and say, I'm oppressed, therefore I'm going to oppress you. Um, I have rights as a victim, therefore I'm going to crush you. Anybody can say that. Anybody can create a case for that because there is no absolute right and wrong. And if you disagree with them, well, maybe they're just going to call what you have to say hate speech or they're going to call it illegal in some way and shut you down and this creates a situation where might makes right and the certain kind of right or the certain kind of might that I'm talking about is the the ability to present yourself as a victim 
And this is always going to create a situation where the worst sort of people um, take power and oppress. And this is always going to create a system where um, the weak suffer because morality and good society and good rules protect the weak. And so that's what I care about. It's, um, and it's worth talking about and it's worth paying a price for. So what would I encourage you to do? Certainly I'm not in any way, shape or form. I don't even, no, I'm not gonna say that. What would I encourage you to do? We need to understand the times. I think this is what this podcast series has been about is just me understanding what's going on in the world, understanding the times. Um, and uh, I don't think I'm done talking about neo-Marxism. I, I want to keep digging deeper. I think this I'm onto something here, and this is really important to figure out and to understand. So stay tuned for the journey. Uphold the ancient paths. I think that many of us uh, have come through... Many of us have some heritage and history with the church, and it hasn't all been good. And sometimes we have this, this sense of let's just reject and throw all that stuff out. And other, others of us have had run-ins with liberalism, maybe in the church or in school or something, and we have this sense of let's just throw all that out and just stick to the Bible. And I think in some way we need to come together and understand that we might not agree with liberals, liberals might not agree with Christians, might reject some of their the way they were raised, but in some way we need to come together and tell one story about one nation under God, one society under God, and we need to uphold the ancient paths, the, the stories that have um, built good families, that have built good societies, that have built good ethics, that have helped us move forward as a people. I think we need to resist the easy, sloppy sort of a way of dropping, um, of saying things like, rich old white guys and making jokes about that hashtag you're so white or something like that again I don't want to get into specifics but um, I think we need to point out that this is not okay this you know rich old white guys classism ageism sexism racism this is not okay Everybody loses. Everybody loses if we remove the pillars of society that protect everybody. And the way that we move forward, the way that we protect everybody is by creating an ethical system, a political system, a social system that believes fundamentally in the sanctity of human life, universal morality. Telling one story moving forward through speaking the truth and working on the problems in the, in the imperfect world. That's how we protect everybody. And um, it's a big deal when that's undermined anywhere. And humor is powerful. <clears throat> and so I think that we need to be very careful of our humor. And in some cases, maybe we need to call people out on their humor. It wouldn't be okay for other people groups. So why why would you undermine that for that people group. That's not okay. We need to continue to work on real issues in our broken world. We need to love people. We need to serve God. 
We need to honor the king. We need to do our best to be the best version of ourselves in this world that we can. And so um, I issue that challenge to you, and I pray that the peace of God be with you. Bye.